Well, good morning. If you want to, ooh, a little hot, open up to Proverbs chapter 12 today. Proverbs chapter 12 is where we're going to uh, start off this morning. And uh, I want to share with you something I've been thinking about the past few days. I was driving in my car on Thursday listening to a podcast, and um, the guy on the podcast was sharing about just different challenges that not only uh, so many businesses and families have met this past year, but that the church has been met with this past year. And when I say church, I mean big C church around our nation. And um, I was reminded in that moment as I was just praying for Living Hope Columbus and praying for some of you by name as the Lord was bringing you to mind as I was driving. And I feel like just God reminded me of something, and it was this, just the strength of our church. You know, we've not only survived this last year, when the, just the last year was so difficult on so many levels, but for churches in particular. Um, God honored so much of what we did, and we thrived, really. I don't mean to use that cliche, but we thrived throughout this past year. And the Lord's kindness has been so evident to our church. And, you know, we have our warts and we have our problems like every other church. We probably have more problems than most, maybe. We have our few crazy uncles running around here. It's kind of the old adage, if you wonder if you're the crazy uncle in the church, you are, you know, we know who they are. You know, we've just got our issues, but God's kindness is so evident to our church. I was telling our membership class last Sunday, would people join in the church still in the midst of all of this, which is incredible. But I told our our membership class uh, last week, I said, I feel like, and I don't just say this, I believe this, we have a unique, um, like God's favor is uniquely upon our church. And I know you hear me use that phrase all the time, middle of a miracle, and I say this all the time, I don't just say it, I mean it. And we get to see God's activity, sometimes on just the micro level, and sometimes on a much larger scale. But God is just uniquely honoring what we're doing here, and I'm excited about it, and I'm, I'm, I'm pumped up. I'm excited for this next year, and I hope that you are too. And uh, I can't wait, hopefully, in the next couple months where I get to see your faces more during church. I hate this just like everybody else, but I'm looking forward to most of you seeing your smiles. Some of you, you can leave your mask on, but most of you all looking to see your smiles. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm with anticipation looking forward to this next year for what God has for our church. So I'm going to get off my soapbox real quick. Now, Proverbs chapter 12. Uh, today we're continuing what we're calling me versus you as we're just looking at unique perspectives from the book of Proverbs. And uh, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, we're going to read three verses today. Proverbs 12, Proverbs 18, and Proverbs 24. So let's start in Proverbs 12, verse 4. We're talking about marriage today, so hopefully you're ready for this. Proverbs 12, 4 says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a wife who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. I'm just asking for trouble based on that verse. Proverbs 18, 22 says, A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4 says, A house is built by wisdom, and it is established by understanding. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with every precious and beautiful treasure. Let's pray. Lord, thanks again for the day, Lord, for the the privilege that we have to be in this space. God, for the privilege that we have to uh, be part of your family. Lord, I pray that as you have over these past three years, Lord, that you would continue to speak truth into us today. Father, we need a word from the throne of heaven, God, as we seek to understand and apply your word. So give us ears to hear from you today, Lord, hearts to receive what you teach us. And Lord, would you give us the hands and feet we need to live these truths out the rest of our week. We pray that Jesus would be among us today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
Well, knowing that today was Valentine's Day, and I know this is a fun day for some, and some of you probably hate Valentine's Day, I figured it would be appropriate this morning for us to talk about marriage. We've been looking at relationships from various levels, and uh, we thought today, being Valentine's Day, love is in the air, love is on the mind, that marriage was the natural thing to talk about this morning. I want to remind us, too, based on something we said last week, that even though you may not be married this morning, the principles that we're talking about are still very applicable to your life. And remember, we can think of this in kind of three scopes. You may not be married yet, but someday God may bring somebody into your path and you end up marrying that person. So lean into God's word and uh, lean into the truth that we're going to see in Proverbs today. I know I can speak from experience, as I'm sure many people in this room can, that I wish I knew 10 years ago the things that I know today. I would have been much better off in my marriage 10 years ago if I knew the things that I now know. And so just because you're not married, it doesn't mean someday you won't be. Secondly, you may never get married, and that's okay, because understanding our passages today are going to help you understand married people. I can remember when I was single, and sometimes I would observe married people and how they interact and act with each other. I'm like, they're so weird. Understand the scriptures. The scriptures will give you insight into some of these things. But then lastly, remember this. Even if you're not married, and maybe you never will be married, it's still good to have a biblical worldview of everything. Sometimes we want to approach the Bible and say, I only want to study the things that apply to me. That's not a good, good way to study the scriptures. I want to have a biblical, well-rounded worldview of everything that God's Word teaches. It's so important. Now, let me also remind us of this this morning. Some of you are probably maybe already thinking this. Um, I'm not a marriage expert, okay? I haven't studied all these courses and read a billion books on marriage. I don't have some degree in marriageology, if that's a thing. I am not a marriage expert, but I've been married for a little bit length of time. I was thinking back on my wife and I's story. We, got, uh, we met each other back in 2009. We were working on a mission trip together in Lancaster, Ohio. You've heard the story a million times. It's my love story. We met each other in Lancaster, Ohio, 2009. I remember I stepped out of my dad's green Ford F-150 pickup truck. She thought I was a country boy. <laughs> I tricked her. All right. Stepped out of the truck. Liz saw me. She fell in love immediately, obviously. We were engaged a year later, engaged for one year, and then we were married on June 6th in 2011 on the beach in North Carolina. It was awesome. And so you, there's many of you, probably most of you, you've been married longer than my wife and I, and I fully understand that. I'm not an expert in marriage. But I do want to give us one truth this morning, and this is the title of our message. Guys, you need to hear this. Single, married, this is so important. You ready? Here's the one truth, overarching truth in everything. Your wife is always right. Who said amen? I heard you, Taylor. I'm surprised the ladies didn't say amen. I remember when I did marriage counseling with my father-in-law, he did our wedding, and that's like the one thing he drilled into my head. Elizabeth is always right, 100% of the time. It's in the Bible, probably. If it's not, if you can't find it, it should be in there. So that's our overarching theme for today, okay? I'm joking. Here's the truth I want us to see. We have way too much, like, pop culture, self-help, marriage stuff running around there. And way too much people with platforms that are saying, hey, let me share with you the advice and the things that I've learned in marriage. We don't need any of that. We've got to go to the scriptures to understand marriage. Jesus is the author of marriage. And if I want to know how to have a thriving, beautiful picture of the gospel in my marriage, I need to talk to the author about it. And that's what I want us to do today. I'm not going to tell you 10 things Aaron's learned in 10 years of marriage. That would not do you any good. 
I want to see what the author of marriage has to say about marriage. And so in Proverbs chapter 12, what we're going to be seeing here, we've, we've been looking at this idea of, of conflict in our relationships. And we've said if, if we learn to function rightly in the characteristics and virtues that God created us to function in, then we can ultimately reduce the conflict that we have in our relationships. And I think while the last two weeks were important, friendship, getting conflict right in friendship is so important. Being a good friend is so important. I hope that was helpful for you. Being a good parent is so important. I say this unapologetically, marriage is the most important relationship that you need to learn to get right. And I believe that this is so true because, friends, marriage is the clearest picture of the gospel that Jesus ever gave us. And if we don't get the marriage component right, we're distorting the gospel and giving this false picture of the gospel to the culture around us. And we have to be so on guard with this, and I'm telling you, this is so important Because our culture is trying to dismantle marriage right before our eyes right now. It's all around us. They're trying to distort human sexuality. They're trying to distort what marriage, the covenant of marriage, how God created the covenant of marriage. And the reason that the devil's using this tactic, why? Because if he can destroy marriage, he can destroy the clearest picture of the gospel that we were ever given. And he's taken that route. You say, Aaron, how's marriage a picture of the gospel? Let me give you a few examples of why this is true, and then we'll look at Proverbs. When you look at a good biblical marriage, you see a picture of God's faithfulness. Because as you see a man and a woman who are faithful to their spouse, you understand the faithfulness of God to his people. 2 Timothy chapter 2 talks about that. When you see a biblical marriage, you see a picture of God's forgiveness. Because here's the deal. If you've been married for more than a week, you're going to learn something. Your spouse will probably fail you. They're not going to measure up to your expectations. They're going to do things that they shouldn't do. Your spouse will probably fail you. But in a good biblical marriage, you choose to express forgiveness to them. And what does that do? It shows not only us, but the world around us, how God's forgiveness is extended to us through Jesus, even when we don't deserve it. Marriage is a picture of God's grace. As we love our spouse unconditionally, we learn how God loves us despite who we are. The Bible says in Romans that while we were still enemies of God, He loved us. That's an unconditional love, and we get to express that to our spouses. It's a picture of the gospel. We see a picture of God's sacrifice. As we sacrificially choose to love and serve our spouse, we understand better how Jesus voluntarily went to a cross for us. John 15, verse 13. Marriage is the clearest picture of the gospel from all angles that God gave us, and it's under attack. And we have to fight for marriage. And so I want to show us three little principles here in Proverbs, starting in Proverbs chapter 12, um, that just, I think, will help be helpful in your marriage. There are literally thousands of Proverbs, not of Proverbs, but scriptures that we could study. Dozens of Proverbs that we could look at today. Endless resources in the Scripture that show us what our marriages should look like. I just want to give us three that I know have proven helpful for me personally that God's Word teaches us. So point number one, if you like to take notes, is this. Let's talk about lived character within marriage. Lived character. Verse, uh, verse 4 of Proverbs 12, let me remind us what it says. A wife of noble character is what? It's her husband's crown. But a wife who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. 
We've all heard phrases before about somebody's character. Maybe they have good or bad character. They have strong or weak character. They have little character to a great deal of character. What does character actually mean? We want to define our terms this morning so we understand what God's teaching us through the Scriptures. Character, one of the greatest definitions I read, is the sum qualities that make up a person. That's what character actually is. I read another person, uh, uh, an author, that said, character is the visible imprint of what is housed within the human soul. Isn't that good? It's the sum qualities of what make up a human being. And in this passage here in Proverbs chapter 12, it's specifically applied to the wife as, as Solomon is writing down this proverb. Yet what you're going to find a lot of times in these marriage proverbs is that although they're applied to one person in the marriage covenant, they're applicable to both people. And so what Solomon teaches us here is the important nature of character as it relates to a marriage, the kind of wife or husband that you and I should strive to be. What kind? The person of noble character. Your Bible translation, some of these were helpful to me, might say a, a woman of excellence. We could say a husband of excellence or a, a wife of virtue, a husband of virtue. The emphasis is on the strength of the character. And again, although this proverb, Proverbs 12.4, is directed to the wife, we gain this beautiful picture of what character should look like in our marriages. Here's a side note. Sometimes we take these proverbs applied to women, and men will kind of lord these over their wives. Don't ever forget this. Men never expect something of your wife that you don't expect of yourself. If you expect your spouse to be a person of character, be a person of character. Live it out in front of them. So what does strength of character actually look like? What does noble character look like? I'm glad you asked because the scriptures teach us this. Proverbs 31, if you want to flip over there, about 19 chapters. You've probably heard before of the Proverbs 31 woman. So whatever Christian woman is supposed to be, you're supposed to be the Proverbs 31 woman. But in Proverbs 31, as we read about the Proverbs 31 woman, we see strength of character, noble character played out. Again, directed to the woman, but principles that should be applied to all of us in the marriage covenant. So what does noble character look like? One chapter of the Bible, look at all these things that define noble character. Proverbs 31.11, they're trustworthy. Proverbs 31.12, they're caring. Verse 13, they're hardworking. Verses 14 and 15, they're sacrificial. Verse 16, they're, they're wise. Verse 17, they're strong. Verse 18 of Proverbs 31, they're enduring. Verse 19, they're skilled. Verse 20, they're charitable. That means they're generous. Verse, 30, verse 21, they're a provider. Verse, thir, verse 22, they're self-aware. Verse 23, they're complimentary of their spouse. Verse 25, they're honorable. Verse 25, again, they're secure in who they are. Verse 26, they're wise. Verse 26, again, they're kind. Verse 27, they're nurturing. Verse 28, they're praiseworthy. Verse 29, they're excellent. There's a lot of these here that define character. Last one, verse 30, they fear the Lord above all. And the Bible says that you and I need to be a spouse of noble character. What does that look like? Go to Proverbs 31. You're going to find out. And Solomon reminds us here in Proverbs chapter 12 that when a spouse embodies those characters, this side of the cross, we'd say it's the Spirit of God doing a work inside of us, sanctifying us to be more like Jesus. What's the result? Look at Proverbs 12.4 again. A wife or a spouse of noble character is what? A crown. I love that picture that Solomon gives us here. Now, we could get in trouble here. We could say, man is the king, wife is the crown. Men do not do that. You will sleep in the doghouse tonight and you will deserve it, okay? 
That's not what Solomon is telling us here. You've all seen the movie before. In my house, it's a Disney movie. It's probably Frozen or Frozen 2, where the individual is, they become a king or a queen, right? They've been given all the rights and privileges associated with that honor, but before they are actually made that position, before they are placed in that position, what is the final piece of attire that is placed on a king or queen before they take their throne? It's always the crown. They always have the servant come, and the, what does the servant do? They place the crown upon their head. Why do they do that? Because the crown is the perfect complement to the king's attire. The crown is the perfect complement to the queen's attire. What's the lesson Solomon is giving us here? That when you and I choose to embody noble character within our marriage, we become the perfect complement to our spouse. We become the perfect complement to our spouse. As a husband, I've been married to Liz for nine and a half years. There is nothing more in this world besides knowing Jesus more deeply that I want than to see her thrive and flourish in this life. That's what I want for her as a husband. How do I do that? I become a person of noble character that complements who my wife is. When I live noble character, I become the kind of person that she can thrive with because I compliment her. When I become a person of noble character, she knows that she can trust me. She knows she can depend on me. She knows she can walk with me. She knows she can grow with me. She knows she's secure with me. And I'm the perfect complement to who she is. That's what Solomon's driving us to. But notice this. What's the inverse of a spouse with noble character? What's the inverse of a spouse with noble character? Proverbs 12.4. But a wife, spouse, who causes shame... It's the inverse here. What are they? They're rottenness to the bones. You see the depth of this word picture here? What is a spouse or what does a spouse look like who conducts themselves shamefully? I think this is a spouse who is completely self-centered. They're not worried about their spouse. Instead, they're only worried about themselves, only worried about their needs, their wants, their desires, and their future. And do you know when you're only worried about yourself, it's really hard to compliment somebody else. We have so much self-centeredness running around in marriage and less complimenting of our spouses. Often it turns into competing because we only are concerned about me. And Solomon says, rather than being a crown to your spouse, you are rottenness to their bones. One Bible translation I read says that when you're a, a spouse that is not a spouse of character, you become cancer to the bones of the person that you're married to. Now watch this. How do I develop into a spouse of character? How do I, I develop those Proverbs 31 attributes in me? We said it a moment ago. It's the Spirit of God doing a sanctif sanctifying work in my heart to make me more like Jesus. You remember what Galatians chapter 5 says? Paul wrote this. We studied this several, several months ago. Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you're not going to carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. And the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. They're opposed to each other so you don't do what you want to do. You want to develop into a person of character, you and I have to understand that the natural inclinations of my selfish human heart are towards me and the things that I want. But I have to beg Jesus daily through the reading of his word, through prayer, through a community of believers, Jesus, kill the fleshly desires that are bound up in my heart so that I can be a person of character that serves my spouse well. Galatians 5, you keep reading, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Do you notice how the Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, parallels so well to the Proverbs 31 attributes of character? Because this side of the cross, we need the Spirit of Jesus to develop us into this 
person, to be the perfect complement to our spouse as we live out noble character. Number two, practiced honor. Practiced honor. So we got lived character. Let's talk about practiced honor. Look at verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 22. Solomon says, A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. What is honor? I think it's a word we hear often. We might be able to visualize it, but we have a hard time defining it. Again, when we know what we're talking, when we define our terms, we know what we're talking about. So what's honor? Honor is an act of mutual respect and praise. Act of mutual respect and praise. Let's take it a little bit further. It's choosing to highly esteem somebody and give them the praise that they deserve. Choosing to view them in a specific way. We need more honor in our marriages these days where we view our spouse rightly and place value on them. Here's what's cool, though. That's honor in our culture. Biblically, honor goes a step further. In marriage, biblically, what you're going to find is you have to choose to place value upon your spouse, whether they deserve it or not. That's honor in marriage. Placing value on my spouse, whether or not they deserve it. Choosing to value them, whether or not you believe they actually deserve the value you're going to place on them. It's sacrificial love. I was thinking about it this week, and I was reminded when I was a student pastor. This was about 10 years ago. I got invited to a Boy Scout troop meeting. Aaron Taylor, Boy Scout, right? No. I went to this thing because one of my students was, he was like an Eagle Scout or something, and they had this big meal, and I was going there to help them out. I promise the story's going to make sense in just a second. I brought Elizabeth with me. We're sitting around this table eating desserts together. Everybody's hanging out, sitting through everything. All these awards are given away to all of these Boy Scouts. Cool little time. And I leaned over to Elizabeth towards the end of the ceremony, and I said words similar to this. Wouldn't it be hilarious if they gave me a Boy Scout award? I was just joking around. Now, let me make a couple things clear really quick. I've never been a Boy Scout. I've never had interest in being a Boy Scout. If you're a Boy Scout, congratulations. That's just not me. I've never had interest in being a Boy Scout. This was literally the first meeting that I had ever been to for the Boy Scouts. I'd never gone to one of these before. Um, I'd never filled out paperwork when I was younger to like maybe uh, apply interest to being a Boy Scout. That never existed in my mind. Zero affiliation with the Boy Scouts was totally just invited and I went for the free dessert kind of thing. And I'm not kidding you. It was like the moment that those words rolled off of my tongue. Wouldn't it be hilarious if I got a Boy Scout award tonight? I have no affiliation with the Boy Scouts. The, word, the next words I hear were, Aaron Taylor, please join us on the platform to receive your Boy Scout award. Y'all think I'm lying. Right there. I kept it because nobody believes me when I tell this story. Aaron Taylor, Scout Spirit. What? I'd never even been there before. And I stood up and I was like, well, okay. <laughs> and I went up and took my, my award. People clapped. They honored me in that moment. It was kind of a little special idea. To this day, I have no idea how I got on the list. I have no idea how I got nominated for Scout Spirit. I had nothing to do with the Boy Scouts. But here's why that story made sense to me as I was thinking about honor. They extended an honor to me despite me. I didn't do anything to deserve the honor that night. And if, I probably made fun of the Boy Scouts that night, if I'm being honest with you. But they extended honor to me, and they said, hey, here's something that you don't deserve, but we want to honor you in this moment. That's what honor in marriage is supposed to look like. Extending value and praise to somebody. Whether or not they deserve it, we honor our spouse. Look at verse 22 again in Proverbs 18. 
A man who finds a wife finds a good thing. What does this have to do with honor? Track with me for a second. Look at Genesis chapter 2. You can turn there if you'd like to in your Bible. This is so important for us to get today. In Genesis chapter 1, we have the historical account of creation. We see at the end of Genesis chapter 1, the pinnacle of God's creation was human beings, a man named Adam, the first human that God ever created. The Bible says in Genesis 1 verse 27 that when God formed Adam from the dust of the earth, he breathed life in him. And what made Adam unique is he was the only creation that was created in the image of God, marked with the fingerprint of God. You fast forward to Genesis chapter 2, Adam is working the ground as God had commanded him to. And in an act of grace, Adam didn't deserve it. In an act of grace, God made the woman for Adam. God creates Eve from the rib of Adam's side, and the Bible says that God brought Eve to Adam for what purpose? To be a complementary partner to Adam. Now look at this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him, is what my Bible says. Your Bible might say, complementary to him. So God takes this moment that was not good for Adam, and how does God make it good? By bringing Adam Eve. By bringing Adam the spouse that he didn't do anything to deserve. What's the lesson there? That God providing providing Adam with a spouse was an expression of grace. It was an expression of grace by God. God simply gracefully giving Adam something he didn't deserve. Watch this. This is so important. This helped me so much this week. The most basic aspect of practicing honor in your marriage the rest of this week and the rest of your life is when you begin to view your spouse as an expression of God's grace to you. Listen, guys, you're not a hot shot that deserved her. We've all heard that before. You outpunted your coverage. You did. She's too good for you. Acknowledge it. Women, God gracefully, I gotta be careful here. God gracefully gave you your husband. Yeah, he might be a goon sometimes, probably most of the time, but he's still an expression of God's grace to you. We didn't deserve our spouses, but God blessed us with them. And if we want to honor them, we have to start seeing them as a blessing. I was thinking uh, literally last night how weird marriage is. Have you ever thought about this? Literally one day you're alone. The next day you meet somebody of the opposite gender and you're like, I like that one. In the span of literally tens of thousands, you've probably seen. And literally thousands you've probably engaged with. But all of a sudden you're like, they're a stranger, yet I like them. I shall talk to them at this point. And all of a sudden, once you begin to get to know the person, we just make a decision as humans. We're like, you know what? This one's mine forever. I pick this one. And in a weird act of God's grace, the other one's like, you know what? I pick you too forever. Let's do this. It's so odd. But it's grace. Last night as I was putting the final touches on what I was going to share today, I was sitting at the desk in our basement and my wife was sitting there on the couch and I just leaned over and looked back at her and I'm like, how did this happen? I don't deserve her. It's grace. And when I begin to view her through the lens of God's grace to me, I begin to naturally honor her. Notice what else Solomon says. When you find a wife, you find a good thing. It's a blessing from God, Genesis chapter 2. And what else? It's a sign of God's favor. 
Your spouse is an expression of God's providence and his mercy and his grace. If you wonder if God loves you, look at your spouse. When we see them in that manner, the natural overflow is honor because they're God's grace to us. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter. We honor them. We choose to. Number three, a consistent walk. This is the most important of all three of these. A consistent walk. We've got to choose honor. We've got to live honor in front of our spouse. But friends, if we don't get this right in our marriage, everything else will crumble and fall apart. Verses 3 and 4 of Proverbs 24 say, A house is built by wisdom, established by understanding, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with every precious and beautiful treasure. The most important thing that you and I need to get right in our marriage is a consistent walk with Jesus. And Solomon paints this incredible picture here of building a house, and he, he defines a, a walk with Jesus in really three words, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. That's what a vibrant walk with Jesus looks like, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. The greatest gift you can give your spouse is to walk with God in wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. How do we do that? He says, first, a house is built by wisdom. This is foundational stuff to your marriage. What's wisdom? I read last evening, I was looking for, for ways to define wisdom that were helpful, and one guy said that wisdom is seeing things as God sees them. I thought that was so good. Wisdom is seeing things as God sees them. How do I do that? You want to see things as God sees them, you got to get right with God. The most important thing that you can give your spouse is for you to be right with Jesus, to know Christ, to be walking with Christ and living your life day by day engaged with Jesus. It's the most important aspect of a thriving Christian marriage. The healthiest marriages are always going to be found by two people who pursue Jesus separately and then together day by day. That's where we find wisdom. That's how we view life through the lens in which God created it. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, It's the Lord that gives wisdom. That's such a basic thing that we need to understand today. We want our marriages to be pictures of the gospel. we got to get right with Jesus first. Second, what does he say? A house is built by wisdom, then what? It's established by understanding. This is where the wisdom we receive from God moves to application of that wisdom. What good is it to know how God sees things and do nothing with it? Friends, this is you and I not only knowing Jesus, that's foundation. It's you and I actually pursuing Him and moving towards Him and making decisions that honor Him. The greatest gift you can give your spouse is not only to love Jesus, but let them see you walking with Him. Making hard decisions that, man, show that you trust Jesus and honor Jesus. They need to see you walking with him and taking them with you. Lastly, what's the, this is the, the final one here. The house is then filled through knowledge. In its simplest form, friends, that's all that is, is continuing to know Jesus more and more deeply day by day. And then where does the filling happen? It spills over to your spouse. As you not only know Christ through wisdom, then you begin to walk with him through understanding, then what do you do? You begin to know him more deeply. And the more you fall in love with Jesus, what's going to naturally happen? That's going to overflow from you to your spouse. That's going to fill your marriage. It's going to fill all the cracks and crevices and the disagreements. Jesus is going to fill all of those spaces. You've got to know Christ more deeply. Walk with him and let him become the defining marker of your marriage. Man, it's so important. Let me close with this final thought. I've been in ministry about 10 years or so, 10, 10, 11 years. I've had the opportunity to do about seven or eight weddings over that time. And in those weddings, we always look at different scriptures that, that I think are important to marriage. We look at, you know, 1 Corinthians talking about love. We look at John 15 talking about sacrificial living. We look at so many of those, those things. And I want to share with you one section of the, the marriage ceremony 
that I always share with couples based on those scriptures. And then I'll close this down with some prayer. Single, married, tune into this. Marriage is total commitment. It's total commitment. Good marriages do not just happen. You will never find a good marriage that just happens organically. You have to work for it. How do we do that? Good marriages take both people choosing to place the needs and desires of their spouse above their own. Choosing honor. Practicing honor. Good marriages require sacrifice. Good marriages happen when we love our spouse more than we love ourselves. John 15. In the same way that Jesus expressed his love for us by sacrificing himself on the cross, your marriage is simply a picture of that. You must place the needs of your spouse above your own. And then here's the most important part. On your own, you do not have the ability to truly love your spouse because you're selfish and I'm selfish. But through a relationship with Jesus and Jesus working in you, the natural outpouring from you and I will be a sacrificial love, an unconditional love for your spouse. A prayer that I've prayed for several years over my marriage is, Jesus, would you love Elizabeth through me today? Because here's a truth I had to learn a long time ago, and this is the one nugget of truth you're going to get from me today. But I think it's very biblical. Jesus loves my wife a whole lot more than I do. And I want him to love her through me. I just get to be part of it. He loves her a whole lot more than I do. And only he can love her rightly. So I want him to do it through me. Let me pray for us as our praise team comes. God, I thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for the gift that we have in marriage. God, may marriage never be a burden on our souls, Lord, but may we view it as an expression of grace from the throne of heaven. God, I pray that if there's any marriages in our church, those listening online, those on the radio that are struggling, God, that you would draw us to a moment of repentance, Lord, repentance over areas where we fall short and you're, we need your spirit to intervene and to grow us, change us, and mold us into the likeness of Christ so that we can love our spouse rightly. God, may we be that city on a hill shining a beacon of the gospel, not only through our words, but through our relationships, specifically through our marriages, allowing the world around us to see the love of Jesus by the way we love our spouses. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that Jesus does a sanctifying work in our hearts through it. God, as we sing, I pray it's a sweet sound through the throne room of heaven and that you'd lean your ear over to hear our voices. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.